You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Gabriel de la Mora. Gabriel, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Reinhardt, uh, to invite me to do this. This is the first time I do a radio interview in the U.S., so to me it's really amazing to do things for the first time. Well, same with me. I'm very excited to talk with you for the first time. I, I, I want to jump right into uh, some of the shows you've reach ha- recently had at, at, at Peroton. I know you have some upcoming shows at a, at a biennial and other museums, and, and maybe we'll talk about those, although um, that's in, in process. But, uh, but to jump right into your, your recent show at, at Peroton, um, just last November in New York, Let's talk about that because it was a very unusual show. As someone who comes from a background in in architecture, um, you're you're working with uh, butterfly wings, which is uh, you know both both poetic and, and a very unusual and seemingly ephemeral medium. Yeah, it's, it's, you mentioned a lot of information and everything. I, I was very excited. It took me two years, maybe two years and a half. All, all, all of this is with the beginning at the end of the pandemic, of the COVID thing, that we uh, went to our houses uh, for four months without touching the studio. I was the only one in the studio because we are a team of 21 people working in Mexico City here in the studio. And we prepared this uh, new series, uh, trying to paint with colors and patterns from nature using the butterfly wings and uh, the title of the exhibition at Perotan that uh, started in November 3rd until December 23rd, uh, 2021. Uh, it was Lepidoptera, that is the scientific uh, name from the butterflies. And the idea it was to, to paint with the colors and the patterns of the butterflies and try to expand the the theory of colors, of the interaction of colors of Joseph Alberts, that he was focused in the effects of colors, in solid colors somehow, and it would be amazing if Joseph Albert could expand these uh, studies and these theories of color in the colors of nature, that is divided in three different uh, worlds in a way, is the solid, the iridescent, and the luminescent. And most of the butterflies that I use uh, they have iridescent colors, that they are structural colors, that they are made with very tiny scales in the wings that reflects the light in a different way, that uh, the, the color change when you move on when the light moves. And the morphodidious butterflies that I use, that they are the blue ones, uh, the colors range goes from black, purple, uh, blue and ends into kind of greens. So it's quite interesting and it's so amazing uh, to see a painting that moves and the colors change when you move depending in the light. And the best photographs, the best video doesn't really reveal the experience to, to see colors live from all these body of works. That's so interesting, you know, to talk about Albers' um, color theory book, too, because, of course, that book is a little bit of a, 
of a Bible for artists. It was, you know, such a fascinating study of color. And, and one aspect to it, of course, is it's a printed book, right? I mean, there are different editions of that book, but it's, it's printed. And, you know, there's challenges in printing something like that. But you're talking about iridescent colors. And as far as I know, even, even, if, even if Albers, like, were to extend that, or you are extending that, it's, it's almost impossible to print iridescent colors, isn't it? What you're... What you're kind of expanding on in terms of Albert's color theory is is only able to be seen in paintings. Is that correct? Because this can't be done in, for example, silkscreen or or the, some of the processes that Albers was was using. Well, I never thought about that, but I, I just thought about the theory, not the the printing thing as a book. It is amazing, and I just, in internet, I saw a version, the first edition of that book, Interaction of Color, that it was a huge book with, I don't know how many plates, like uh, screens or something like that, because it's interactive, so you can move uh, pages and do all the effects that the book uh, show in the examples that he did it. And but it was it's, you're right. It's really incredible that the this kind of colors, uh, nature is perfect and is so complicated and is so sophisticated in in a way that maybe there will be a way of printing, but never will be close to the real thing and the real experience, especially in this new series with the decent colors at the colors of nature that they are completely vibrant and they are incredible and and it's an experience is is the i like the idea of the structural colors in nature with the with the dirisons that is like i come from architecture and and it's it's true it's a technology by nature that is a structure the that of all these scales that they have perforation in in different ways that uh, those preparations reflect certain colors in in a certain direction of the light because color is is light in a way it's an experience of light that could be seen in printing as a book in this theory but you make me think a lot i don't have a question an answer of your question but you make me think there will be a different way of printing or a different way of try to uh, show in a book this iridescent uh, technology of color somehow and and the colors that you're that you're working with and how you're exploring and experimenting there's it, it it comes down to also how you're how you're reproducing what you want right because it's it's difficult to actually control this kind of color isn't it or 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 is it in the way you're working yeah, the first uh, the first time I I took like I bought some butterflies to see them and to see how can I produce a media or how can I uh, glue them or cut them or something. But it was really in- incredible and really frustrated that the first butterfly wing I I took it was destroyed just by touching the the scales that all the scales well went down and it was completely destroyed the the idea i tried to to cut them with the scissors and with knives and it was totally destroyed too 
it was impossible to to do it. I glue them, but but I destroy them when I glue them for the first time. So I ask uh, for historians uh, for advice to try to find a way to to cut the way to to glue. But they said that there were insects, so there were a lot of process that we need to do to prevent fungus and to fix the scales to prevent the try to avoid touching we we have to create our own the scissors no they are like pincers i don't know how you say it in english they are like little metal tools that we can avoid the touching in, in a way and and everything was fine but there were damages and there were something that he was missing and the person that really put all together it was an entomologist he was an expert on insects that he was a guy that totally solved all the questions and all the problems to find the glue the specific we need to create a new glue and some species were well uh, with one glue, but some others they were not working with that specific glue. So we need to uh, create a second glue, a third glue. It depends on the species, and it, it has been a really an amazing journey in in every sense since the beginning until now, the with the series of the butterflies because an idea uh, give a, a work, the work expand a, a series. And the series discover a new media. So I'm really happy and I'm really excited. Every time we receive new species of butterflies, we we stop everything in the studio to start just looking and looking the possibilities of the colors, the patterns, to see how we can work with each of the specimens. And uh, and it's amazing. I hope I can do a video uh, trying to show all these emotions and all these experiences that we have in the process of doing each of the works of this new series and uh, and try to share it in a better way than just printing, maybe in a video, that uh, the best way is to see an exhibition live and to see the real colors and the real thing. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, I mean, I, I mean, Albert's made a book, as we're saying, and, and you're referencing a little bit, but it's also about right the interaction of color, right? When we, when as you said in that first volume of Albert's book, which is really unavailable now, right? Very, very lush, and you can see the interaction, which would be harder. And and we're talking about, of course, like the formal aspects of of what you're doing and the research aspects, but there's also um, uh, kind of cultural resonance in this uh, nod to kind of Aztec and Mesoamerican beliefs, which is, if, if I can go there, a kind of, um, that is, that's the narrative within it, isn't there? Or, or, or is that not the case? Is there a kind of, uh, to, to me, they almost feel like um, a ritualistic objects almost, if, if I'm not going too far. Yeah, I love, uh, I really, I love to, dig in the past. I used to go to the Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City every weekend, uh, at least one hour on Saturdays from 4 to 5 p.m. And uh, it's amazing to see all the all the works that they are, all the masterpieces that they were done there. 
with the different cultures, uh, Mesoamerican culture, the Aztecs, the Mayans, and all these uh, Mexican kind of cultures or Mesoamerican cultures. And I love how the past, uh, many of the works on, on stone, they were covered with color, but the color disappeared. So we have the stones that they are amazing. And something that makes me think a lot is that there's no a single name. Uh, there are no authorship. They are all anonymous. So the authors and the names were erased and disappeared. And uh, the works are really incredible. So that's something. They are centuries and centuries away of all these works. And after time, they are changing. Many things are disappearing, but they are appearing other things that they are incredible. And the butterfly is a really important icon or insect. The, the, the purpose of the exhibition dealing and uh, the dialogue I create with the obsidian and the underside stone pieces with the butterflies, it was done by the god goddess uh, Ispapalotu, that is obsidian butterfly in, in Israelated like this. And it was amazing how two different or opposite worlds as the obsidian and the butterflies something that is eternal, something that is ephemeral, something that is alive, and something that is uh, a mineral is, uh, is not alive. But you, after working with this dialogue, working with this new exhibition in Mexico City that I presented from February to March 2022, that it was gone just, uh, it was closed a month ago, uh, it was incredible to see that the butterflies, they live less than a year. Some species, they are like four to six weeks. Some others can go to eight or seven or nine months, but less than a year. So, and they are really ephemeral, really fragile and everything. When they die, they are part of the, of the, of the land and the earth. And maybe through years, by the magma and the eruption or the erupted, of the volcano can be transformed all this uh, earth into obsidian or andesite through fire, through fire. And, uh, and it was amazing how the living or the organic world transformed into inorganic through centuries and through time in a way. And also the butterfly is the meaning of fire and all this process with the uh, Ispapalotl goddess is the fire is another issue that uh, are really important in these things. And the Aztecs and many other cultures, they thought that the, the death by the sacrifice or by war, or maybe the people who die could uh, be visiting the, live, the world of the living people uh, in a form of, in a shape of a butterfly. So there are like many legends and many stories and many things behind all these uh, butterfly things. They are uh, insects that they are really extremely beautiful. And another thing that is really important for me is the metamorphosis, the double birth and the double death, that is this amazing process that if I can find just a word uh, that could define my work and my, the way I think and many things is transformation. And my definition of art is a parallel of the definition 
of energy that art is not created or destroyed, it is just transformed. So transformation is something really important in Mexican culture, in Aztecs and Mesoamerican cultures, and, and also in, in many other different cultures around the world. You cannot, yeah, imagine, you cannot imagine what uh, the present without the past or the... I, I love that the present for me doesn't exist. It's a line that can change the future into past and also right now the past into future. Sorry that I interrupt you. <laughs> no, that's so interesting. Uh, not at all. It's so interesting because, right, a butterflies, uh, as well as everything you, you're saying, uh, this kind of remarkable sense of transformation and even resurrection. Um, I mean, we're just coming out of Easter, so that's on the mind there, but it's kind of extraordinary that, that, that transformation, which which speaks to art making on, on, on a number of levels. Maybe that's a good way to, to discuss a little bit of some of your upcoming shows. I know you're having shows in museums and a biennial, and while we can't name those museums and biennials right now, we can, we can talk about Paroton, but but what are you what are you planning on in in the upcoming shows? What's what's happening in your studio to prepare for these uh, yes. museum shows and biennial? Yes, as, as you mentioned, I study architecture. My background is architecture. I finished in 1991. I was an architect trying to explore uh, architecture through art for five years, and in 1996, in August, I decided to to define myself as an architect or an artist. I quit architecture. I chose an artist and I moved to New York for three years. And I started my career. Right now, from August 2021 to August 2022, I'm celebrating somehow my first 25 years as an artist. And with this, we are preparing some mid-career surveys in different museums that uh, I cannot say the names right now, but we are preparing some books from these exhibitions and some exhibitions in museums trying to put together dialogues in different series I'm working on. And also I'm preparing a piece that will be shown in the fall of 2022, this year, in a biennial that it will be amazing. So all the time I'm working like in five or six different series because there are some series that it takes uh, months or ye even years to be done. So I need to, to work and work and work to give ideas and the ideas gives more ideas through work. And it's the way that we, uh, m me and 21 people in the studio, we work. And when we finish some pieces that, they are, that take so long to be finished and to be done, we put them in storage and to try to find a group to to present in a gallery or maybe in a museum or in a biennial or in many other different uh, exhibition places that we can work with. And you're working a bit like um, like an architect, right? A studio with 21 people. This is this is the. I mean, artists work that way. Architects work that way. Is there is there something about your process in working with assistants and a studio that's that's influenced by being an architect? I don't know. I in the beginning I was afraid to be an artist because to me I was really when I read some biographies of the artists I like at that time, 
I was frustrated and I was educated to be a, a leadership, a businessman and all this stuff. So get away from all this stuff uh, from education was hard and also to to think about that the thing that I most love in my life and in with me is art. Uh, to be an artist, it was hard to make a living somehow. So that's why I decided to be to study architecture with all because also I love architecture. And when I decide to I remember a friend that told me at the end of high school that what you gonna study and I say architecture, oh you're gonna die uh, with no money or something to be an as an architect and I say, Okay, I didn't choose art because I, I it was I was afraid to don't make a living with as an artist. Uh, I say Everything you do bad, I'm sure that you're not going to do it in, in a way. And uh, as an architect for five years and the preparation and the receiving an education of architecture, it was amazing. Maybe because I'm dyslexic, I'm right backwards, and the way I think is by spatial, spatial in, in a way. So my background as an architect gives me a lot of tools that maybe it could not be possible to do it as a, if I receive an education as an artist. That's why I decided to study a Master of Fine Arts, thanks the Fulbright Scholarship and the Jackson Natasha Gelman Scholarship at Pratt Institute from 2001 to 2003 in New York. And that put like upside down my career as an artist. And and it was like the beginning of all the things I'm working here. For more than 15 years, I, I was alone in the studio doing just my, my everything by myself. And uh, with the actual works and the actual series, I really start thinking about to, that I need more than two hands and more than 24 hours a day to do the things I really want to do doing the actual works, I I was counting how many actuals I put in a centimeter square and in how long to see how long it will take me to do a two meters by two meters actual piece. And at that time, it, the answer was four years and a half. There was no way that I will put four years of my full time as an artist just to do one piece. So I decided to to do interviews to some uh, people that I try always to avoid artists uh, because I, I was not able, I, I cannot imagine myself doing another artist's work. So I will never ask anyone, any artist to do my work. So I found other people to, to see if they can do what I do uh, by instruction, supervision and all this stuff. And since the first one that it was amazing, I start with the second one, the third one, the fourth one. And right now we are 21 people working in the studio. They are my family. And we are really working in five different series at the same time. And it's incredible. And, and there are like three ways that I work because one day uh, a collector arrived to the studio and she said, I want to work by you, but I really want a work that you that you do alone, just do it by yourself. And I say, wow, I understand you, but 
but I don't know how to answer because there are three ways that I work. There are some words that I can just be done by me. There are some words that they have to be done by a third person, by supervision and instructions. And there are some series as the speakers and the, the paintings that I put in the roof and all this stuff that they are done by nature or by sound or by time, that there's not even a human being interacting in the process of all these words. So what of these three ways of working and thinking are more me? The one that I do directly, the other one that do a third person, or the ones that they are done through time, uh, light, or nature somehow. And it's incredible. So architecture, I always knew that I will quit architecture, but I will uh, coming back into architecture, not as an, as an architect, as an artist. And there are architecture is everywhere in, in the, the grid and many other things are really incredible in the work that they are really connected with the space and architecture, but without function and without service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting, and and, uh, and and in putting together these shows, these that are coming up, especially mid mid career retrospectives, as you're looking back on on your work, because that's what it involves, right? To look back, to assemble, as well as as well as new work. Is there um, besides the the kind of trajectory that you just described? Is there anything that surprised you when you look back at? at your work and, and a catalog is being made and an exhibition is is being prepared. Is there anything that surprised you about the way you have been working? Because uh, sometimes that happens, you know, when you look back at, at a lot of work. Yes, and that happened, and maybe, I don't know if it's the question or it's a parallel question what I will answer, but I don't want to leave it away from this interview. It was that in the Master of Fine Arts, uh, with uh, Gillian Jagger, he was one of uh, my great teachers. He was, uh, she told us, uh, okay, in summer you're going to go back to your countries or to your parents' house. Try to find everything you can find since you were born until now to see all these materials and check and analyze and to see what happened with your, with your whole life to see why you are an artist and why you are the person you are now. And, and I did it. My, I'm a very accumulative um, uh, person. Also, my parents, they keep everything. So my mother, when I asked her to, to find all these things, she gave, gave me a, a page. Uh, it's a A4 format, 28 by 21.5 centimeters. It's a grid printed. And it was a letter M uh, repeated, and I did it the first time I, uh, when I was four years old in 1972 in kindergarten in the school. And the first time I grow, I remember the teacher telling me, okay, Gabriel, I grow it backwards. And makes sense as a left-handed and a dyslexic uh, child as I do. And, and the teacher said to me, okay, it's okay but you need to do it from left to right instead of right to left. And I say, okay, I did the, the repetition of the letter M in the front page, but when I finish, I decide to turn the page in the other side and repeat the assignment and the, 
of the letter M, everything backwards, the way I really was. And to me, we have like three big discussions. We were like three classes discussing with my classmates and with the teacher all these uh, these things. And to me, it's something really incredible. How uh, the question is when an artist starts. And if you see, you can see this in Instagram and in the web, in the internet, this letter and uh, work that to me, it could be in this, thinking about this mid-career surveys, I really want to start with this uh, work that is the same of the butterflies and 48 years later, uh, my work is the same like that. I took my backwards writing when I was 18, finishing high school, just in the beginning, preparing my, myself to become an artist, an architect, studying uh, architecture, uh, because I was like, why I took it away that makes sense for a left-handed and a dyslexic, dyslexic as I am to write in the other side. So since 18 years uh, until now, that I am 20, 53, uh, all my personal writing, even my legal or my artistic signature, everything is backwards. So it was amazing how uh, when you are a child, you really know who you are and what you become or what you are as an artist and many other things. And the society, education, culture, and many other things gives you away from what you are and to me, it's really important. I'm thinking about this, uh, this first work somehow. It's really incredible how uh, to become an artist, you, all the artists, they want to be different. And they don't need to do that. They just need to be yours, themselves, or in this case, myself. And when you are yourself, immediately you will be different. And this is something that is really important also, the repetition and the difference in my work that is very connected with many other things. But uh, with looking at the books and, and, all, and all the things, it's really incredible to see great works in the past. But some, if I need to think about, I really want that uh, the works that I'm doing now, they have to be the best and the best they are the, the, the things that I'm doing now and the ones that they are coming so that they haven't done yet. And I really want to see my career and myself like this. And I will be rethinking my career maybe if I feel that my best work was 10 or 5 or 20 years ago. They have to be now and they are, have to be the, the words that they are coming. Thank you. Yeah, that's so well said and, and so interesting uh, that, that these kind of shows bring up. Well, I, I wish you well with the museum shows or however, whatever shows um, kind of manifest over the year and, and potentially the biennial. And I want to ask you one last question, which is off topic, but what are you reading at the moment? I'm reading uh, with the dyslexic, the, the writing and the reading was a really big problem with myself. And uh, but my father was really intelligent. He was a writer, and and he was always taking me since I was very young with him to buy books. And he always buy me the books I like since I was very young. Right now, 
my library is in storage because I, there's no room that can I can put all the books that I have and I'm still buying and and having more I don't I I don't really read novels and these kind of things I I really like to to read some kind of philosophy some kind of monographs or, or theory art theory books but there's one book that is always with me and I'm reading and rereading all the time and is the Gilles Deleuze Difference and Repetition and it was his thesis from 1968. That's the book that I, every time I travel, I travel with that book and this book is always next to me in my table, in next in, in my bed. And there are some, right now I'm very reading a lot about butterflies <laughs> that is uh, some text or codex from uh, very ancient uh, uh, literature from the past and a lot of documentation and a lot of uh, reading about butterflies and and also about a lot of books uh, reading about ceramic and the Aztecs and Mexican cultures that those are like the main books that I have all the time and I'm looking and reading at all the time and I need to read double or three times more than any regular human being because of my dyslexia. that's why I read really quite uh, uh, slow but I need to be there they have to be books that they really attract me and right now they are the difference of repetition is the one that is um, all the time looking. Gabriel, I want to thank you for talking with me today. It's been fascinating uh, hearing about your work. I wish you well with the upcoming um, shows as, as well as um, the show at Paraton, which we're talking about in the earlier part of this interview. There's links here for people to, to learn more about your work and Again, Gabriel, I want to thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. <laughs>